Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning, Alan. Minister, you're in Wexford today. You were in Wexford yesterday evening. Why, why have you come? Well, we had a public meeting last night, which was really good, on the Talbot Hotel. But the main reason is meeting the council this morning and um, and listening to them and sharing with them what we'll need to do to meet our climate targets. Every county, every council has by law now to set their own county plan, county climate plan. And really it's to discuss with that what that means in terms of in, in energy, in transport, in, in agriculture, how we get this right so that it's good for Wexford and where it sets us on the right course for the future. So that's I'm meeting the EPA later. I'm visiting Russell Airport. Uh, I have a number of other visits, but but the first most main reason is to, is to listen to local government and to share our best thinking in terms of what we need to do next. And speaking of listening, and I have a number of issues to go through with mm. you now in your, in your time with us here this morning, but speaking of issues, what was the tone within the room last night? Would, would you say it was one of anger? Was it one of positivity? How would you describe the level of questioning that was put towards you and the tone within the room? It was good. Um, we have huge. We face huge challenges in our country. Like we all know, in providing housing for our young people, in, in making sure our health system works. Um, but the biggest challenge we have is turning our country around from an unsustainable path to, to a sustainable one. What I was saying last night and setting out what that means for Wexford in, in, as I said, in energy, transport, agriculture and so on, that'll only work if it's a path, a better path, a better, an improvement, that it gives us a more secure economy, it gives us better jobs, it gives us lower prices. We, you know, the, we're currently suffering because the, the dependency on fossil fuels is costing us a fortune. Mm. So, and I think people, and there was a big survey done, I don't know if you saw it two or three weeks ago, by the EPA, and it was asking people around the country, you know, do you want to address these environmental challenges, the likes of the climate challenge? And it was a very detailed survey, but three or 4,000 people, and actually the vast majority, 85% plus of the population said, yes, they do. Right. And that didn't change whether it was young or old, urban, urban or rural. It's the same instinct that we need to protect our country and our planet for the next generation. Now, the question what people want to know is, well, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that whether you want to do it or not. It's, it's, it's understanding as to what does it mean in practice. And that's what we were talking about last night. OK, and I mean, this is all very admirable, Minister, but a lot of people would love to address climate change. But at the moment, they're preoccupied by trying to get a house. They're also by, preoccupied by trying to put food on the table, put diesel or petrol in their cars, or try and aim towards an electric vehicle. So for many people listening to you and me speaking this morning, their priorities are anything but climate change. They want to address the basic fundamentals that they're entitled to live as an Irish citizen, and they're finding it very hard. Yes, and and that's why, as I said, the change has to be towards a better way. And first and foremost, that cost of living, the fact that it is expensive, the energy, gas, electricity and other bills at the moment are shocking for people as they come through the door. And, and the switch away from those fossil fuels, the switch towards using our own renewable power, being really efficient and, and having better homes, having homes which keep the heat in so you don't have to spend as much heat in them. That's a really positive development for people's health, for people's budget, as well as for the environment. And and that's the way we have to make sure this happens, not as a shaming people, a guilt trip, or not as a punitive thing, but actually as a switch to a better way in being efficient, in using our own natural resources and in protecting our local environment, because that's also important to people. Let's move on to some of the key issues. The first one is fishing. Let's hear from Eamon Hayes, who I spoke to earlier. 
That was Eamon Hayes, their minister. Um, they're very concerned about uh, the fishing industry. I believe he was at the meeting last night. I mean, there's a feeling that a tank has been driven through the fishing industry and very little has been thought of it. What, what is your response? Because he, he was at the meeting last night. What did you say to him? Um, I said firstly that uh, we have to protect our inland fisheries, particularly move away from, talking about changes, like move away from where we have a world where there's a small number of large factory ships hoovering up our entire fish stocks in the deep waters to ones where we do actually allow those fish stocks return and then have a vibrant inshore fishing industry that can tap into it, that can provide us food from a much more sustainable source. In regard his fears about offshore wind, and this I suppose is part of a wider, he's right what he said there about this is a huge project. Like it is beyond compare in terms of the scale of what we're going to do. Um, initially starting in the Irish Sea, just to give a background to your listeners, the three phases of this, the first phase is already starting. We've about seven projects, six in the Irish Sea, one in the West, Mm. which will go into go to an auction system this spring and go into planning this summer. Not all of them will get approved. Uh, the first, the furthest south one is actually near the Arklow Bank, just south of Ballymoney, where those yes. existing turbines are. Um, phase two will see further projects in the RC, including possibly uh, projects off the Waterford or Wexford coast. But then we also move south and west, and that's where the really right. big opportunity lies. The number of wind farms will be limited. It, it will not be that we're going to see a necklace of wind farms right around the coast, uh, southeast and southwest or west coast. Firstly, the constraint or limit is the grid connections ashore. You can, there are only certain places you can take the power ashore. Mm. So actually, in, in Wexford's case, it will be limited. It will be a small right. number of plans. Uh, of po- and their main concerns, Minister, of, of the wind farm being in the prime fishing waters, because it was at the meeting that took place mm. in Kilmore, what, what's your direct response to that? And we're talking about lobster fishing and everything. So actually putting these in the prime fishing waters, are you going to go ahead and do that? Well, no, what Eamon Hayes said last night, and I absolutely agree with him, it has to be about consultation, collaboration, rather than just railroading anything through. So we'll, okay. in, in advance of any site being considered, we'll obviously have to sit down and listen and work with and talk to local fishing communities and make sure that they continue how to have operations. So you are committing to consultation? Absolutely. Yeah. What I said to Eamon Hayes last night as well is this, it's, and I believe it's true, that actually for one of the things we need, one of the big opportunities... The biggest shortage we have is young people with mariner skills. We actually are going to need a whole new generation of people mm. who, who are skilled in, in running boats, in, in being able to operate at work at sea. And for the likes of Wexford Town, the harbour, for the likes of, of Kilmore Quay, for the likes of, uh, of Dunmore, you could go right around the coast. Mm. It will actually see a revival of those fishing and port, small, small ports to help uh, operate and maintain the offshore wind um, and also continue fishing. Can we now move on to rail? What's the likelihood of the Waterford to Rosslare rail line reopening? Well, I think it's good. And I, and I can I just set the scene, if I can, for your listeners, to put a bigger picture. We're conducting a strategic rail review for the island at the moment. And one of the questions you have is, there's an existing rail line from Waterford to Limerick Junction, Limerick, and then on up the West Coast. And the, but it's hardly used. It's almost impossible to, to kind of uh, get a good service on it at the present time or, you know, to, to use it. And the question then facing government is, well, would you get rid of that or would you keep it? Mm. And it, in my mind, the answer to that is we keep and we actually build back and use it. Because if you were to build it new, it would probably cost you about 10 or 15 billion. But because it's there, we should use it. Now, 
in my mind as well, if you look at what's along that rail line, you have four of our key ports. If you run it from Rosslare, Waterford, Cork and Shannon Foynes, all four of those ports, ports are going to be very busy because, as I said, of the offshore renewables and energy is going to come ashore at those ports and industry will come to those port areas. All four of them also have the potential for rail connection down to the quay. And if we started at Rosslare where we're going to invest in the port significantly mm. and you have rail sides keys, uh, you extend the rail right down to the key, to the new keys, that gives you a real world-class facility. The same in Waterford, same in Cork, same in Shannon. If we o- reopen the line from Rosslare then to Waterford mm. and if we build a small section of line from Athenry to Carrick Macross up near Mayo, right. what you have then, uh, as I see it, is a, an Atlantic rail corridor running all the way from Rosslare to Ballina, connected to four world-class deep water ports where there's going to be new industry on the back of this energy source. Mm. That's a strategic asset. That's a spine that actually will be copper-fastened the economic security, particularly of all the towns and ports along its route. So in my mind, that should be and will be our first priority in some of the recommendations coming out of the strategic rail review because it connects what we're doing in energy and transport. And then every one of those towns, if you think of that route and if you have really good quality services for Rosslare, for Wexford, for Waterford, for Mm. Carrick and Shore, for um, Clanmel, for Care, for Bansha, for Tipperary Town, for Limerick Junction, and work, work the way right up the coast to Ballina. That used to, all those towns benefit from being right. on a system where you have free Is this services. aspirational? Or have you got a, a definitive decision on this? We, I, we, I have to wait for the return of the Northern Assembly, the Northern uh, Administration, because it's an all-island stra- strategic rail review. Mm. So I can't bring it to government until I get... A, so a it's Northern, aspirational at this stage? No, 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 no. It's very real. It just needs a Northern Administration right. for us to be able to publish it. Right. And and it's also starting. We've just started reopening the Foynes line okay. um, from Limerick Junction, from Limerick to Foynes, as an example of how right. this connection to ports... Rosslare Harbour, where I'll be later on this morning, this afternoon. Again, it's very real. We're at advanced stages, working with Aaron O'Daron as to how we develop that port. You're under time constraints and I have a number of questions, so I'm going Mm -hmm. to ask you to be brief with your answers, but maybe you can respond to me on some of the main questions. Rosslare, your report has announced multi-hundred million euro development. Can you assure the people of Wexford that this will proceed in full? I'm I'm, I'm absolutely committed to it. It, it Obviously, you have to get through the planning system, uh, you have to do go. To, you have to raise the necessary finance, but strategically, we're going to develop our offshore energy. Rosslare Port is p- perfectly placed, and and was historically those first right. turbines came out of Rossport or Rosslare. Uh, so I expect it to return to being central in its whole. And Rosslare Port is actually booming in any case because post Brexit, it's starting to see a real increase in traffic. Do you believe we can get it across the line? Absolutely. Recent changes to benefit in kind, charges for companies and electric vehicles could negatively impact their transition to electric vehicles. What are your thoughts on this? I have to avoid that because we do need to switch to electric, as I said. Uh, I mean, one of the benefits of this new energy revolution has taken place is that if we can use that power to, to in the middle of the night, charge up our cars, mm. uh, that saves us having to import fuels. It saves uh, the bill on that. It makes the best use of that cheap energy in the middle of the night. 
like developing electric vehicles for us is a is a real benefit as a country. So we will yeah. we will make sure the regulations in place to make it happen. And on EVs, the public charging network is insufficient, Minister. And we've had so many uh, inputs from various councillors and concerned citizens as well. That the lack of charging stations and the output of the charge units that we have. How quickly will this be addressed? Well, last week, two weeks ago, uh, and any sports club out there, any members of sports club can, can, can be open to a part of this. We've just started a new grant scheme that would allow sports clubs to look to put charging stations in their own car parks, which makes what sense. If you think about it, you're down watching the match or train, training with the kids or whatever, that that hour two, you've got a chance to, to recharge. So that's the first of many practical measures the government are implementing. We, we have a €100 million Euro fund to spend in the next three years to make sure we do have the charging infrastructure to make it happen. And how quickly would that happen? Because people would like to move to electric vehicles, but at the moment, I, I mean, I know of one person who, who had to recharge their car three times coming from Wicklow to Wexford. Well, that's a very, I don't know what was wrong with the car in that case. That's a, that shouldn't be the case. But it's the length of time for the charge, you see. Just yeah, having to stop for 45 minutes and get a little bit of a charge majority, into the car. The vast majority, 80% are charging at home. And actually in Ireland, one of the advantages we have, particularly in rural Ireland, is because mm. we have a dispersed population, actually a lot of the charging problems you have in other countries are less so here yeah. because, because those 80% of houses have an easy way of charging at home. That's the way to do it. Charge at night. It's cheaper. Uh, you, you can do it for several hours and that should yeah. get anyone from Wexford to Wicklow. It's claimed it's going to cost €200 million Euro to get our roads in order. So you talk about vehicles and protecting the vehicles and going to electric vehicles. Many times people nearly get lost in potholes in this county of ours. Is there funding there to, to, to put extra funding into the roads of Wexford? €200 million Euro is the figure I've been quoted. Yeah, there is. And, but we're, nationally we're spending a multiple of that on protecting the roads because it is the most it's the first priority because if you let a road go mm. it's so much more expensive if you get a deeper pothole then you have to change the whole surface dressing and so on so Wexford particularly and, and one of the reasons why Wexford particularly got funding is Wexford was hit as your listeners will know a number of bridges and other roads in mm. recent flooding or flooding there uh, two years ago I think wasn't it right. where, where we're starting to see the impacts of climate change actually uh, having that sort of direct effect the intense rains that we're right. seeing uh, damaging a road. So, so we have to maintain roads spending on maintenance more than anything else. Minister, just looking at things nationally, um, we could have an election. Mm. Sinn Féin seem to be rising in the polls yet again. Will you, if the opportunity presents itself, would you go into government with Sinn Féin? Um, firstly, the scale and the urgency of the change you need to make on the environmental side is so great that my mind it has to involve everyone and you can't rule anyone out mm. this this change belongs to everyone involves everyone every place matters so are the politics of that then it brings you to is working with everyone because we can't we cannot afford to sit back right. and say oh we'll wait in five or ten years and we'll wait till the perfect coalition opportunities we have to get roll up our sleeves and work now so you don't rule out Sinn Féin no. and as a party are you fearful when the next election comes because traditionally in recent elections the smaller parties in government have taken quite a bashing at the polls are you fearful you could be wiped out in the next general election uh, not fearful because to a certain extent you're not in there for your own career you're in there to affect the yeah. change for the country for the better and I look at a lot of my other green colleagues in Europe right across uh, where we're in government I think in seven countries at the moment mm-hmm. and my various green parties have shown in those very similar countries to us that you can be in government and you can come back stronger and I think what we're doing in government right. in delivering 
better transport, better housing, new energy infrastructure, new uh, what Roderick O'Gorman did, lower childcare, what Catherine Martin did about uh, basic income for artists and so on. I, I think if you deliver real improvements to people's daily lives, mm. uh, you can go into, we'll, we'll go into the next election with the held, held head high looking to try and do more. And what about public perception of you and the Green Party itself? I mean, when somebody like Oliver Callan and, and his, uh, his, his comedic skills tackle someone like you and they have you on a bicycle with vegetables in the front of the bicycle, does that irk you? Does that annoy you or do you just accept it or do you just take it no, as being no, part I'm, of it? I'm on my bike <laughs> and I do do that. Uh, you, you, you accept that as part of... Do you uh, have vegetables in the front of the basket? Uh, yeah, coming, coming from my allotment, I'm the full green deal, yeah. So that actually happens? Yeah, of course. And you take it in good part? Yeah. Yeah. Is it I, think Oliver, I think Oliver Callan is very astute. He actually, his analysis politically sometimes is the, is the sharpest focus. You are the Minister for, for Communications. Mm. Um, the important role of local radio, local, mm. pr- local print... Um, how important is that and how important has it been throughout the pandemic? How important is that it's properly funded and also uh, that it, it has given the tentacles to grow? I was involved three or four years ago in an uh, event in the Shannon we held it, but it was a global and an international event on disinformation and fake news. And it was looking at, because this is a problem in various countries, how the rise of social media, the TikToks, uh, Twitter kind of world, has led to a much more divisive world where people get back the same views that they already have because that's the way the algorithms and those social media are constructed mm. is to hold your attention. So they give you more of what you already like. And that then leads to a world where you reinforce some of your prejudice or kind of, oh, everyone thinks this. And that then leads to some of the scenes I believe we're seeing in our country in recent weeks where really nasty uh, untruths are, are kind of perpetuated about people coming into the country or it could be whatever any issue. In the analysis of that that we did, what was the solution? There was clear agreement that one of the most important things you need is independent local media that have the ability to ask hard questions, the ability to hold people to account, but also the ability to pull someone up to say, where, is, where did you get the source from that? Or what's, is that true? And that's why local media is important. It is actually a cornerstone of our democracy. Finally, Minister, the highway or the railway or the greenway, uh, you are the leader of the Green Party. Mm. It's my final question. It's in connection with Ross Lair once again. Mm. There's people crying out and there's you here at the council meeting today for the greenway. And then they're saying the railway is going to impact the greenway from Ross Lair to Waterford. You're aware of this, I take it. Mm. is Is there room for both? I think that railway was only closed some 12, 13 years ago. It's still pretty much intact. It would not cost us a lot to bring it back. If you think of that big strategic spine, that Atlantic Rail Corridor running from Oslaire to Ballina, connecting to the deep water ports, connecting to our towns and our major new industries, it will be a rail line rather than a greenway. There are loads of cases for greenways right. and we will need, and we are building those right across the country, including in Wexford. But that, in my mind, that line will be restored as a railway line, as a centre of the development of the southeast. And the greenway in the Rosslare area that they're crying out for—you're you're aware of that? Absolutely, yeah, and 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 others. Can that happen? Will that happen in tandem with the railway? Yeah, we're providing, I think, some three and a half million for uh, Rosslare for for walking and cycling footpaths this year. But the great thing about it is, it's every year now. I don't believe there will be a reversal of what we've introduced. We've introduced a scheme where 10% of our budget goes towards walking and cycling and making it safe for our kids to get to school and so on. 
And I don't think any government uh, is going to reverse that. And I think the political will and, and the skills now in our council to, to spend it well is going to be the key. It will require strong, brave political decisions to really make that safe space, particularly, I think, for our kids to get to school. Um, I don't see that stopping. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.